Lord, would you look on us in love? At once there falls from God above a ray of purest pleasure. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God, when he looks on us because of Christ, there is a ray of purest pleasure when he sees us? Oh, may it be, and may we know that always. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The scripture from Matthew chapter 2 for our epiphany observance simply begins like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. That's what Epiphany observes, the coming of the Magi, the wise men. What do you think that looked like? What do you think it was experienced as? We can only imagine, but it helps us when we have others who give us their interpretation of what it may have been like. is the promised king of his people. What is his name? Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful depiction and portrayal for us? It helps us to, to bring it to, to real life. And, and that's exactly how it happened. Well, not exactly. Nobody knows exactly how it happened. And as nice a job as was done by the creators of the Bible series for TV that aired last uh, March that we just watched a portion of, There were some things that we should point out for biblical accuracy. And that is the fact that the wise men were not there the night that Jesus was born. They did not have to crowd out the shepherds for space at the manger. Now, how do we know this? Well, a couple of things. For one thing, the Gospel of Luke tells us that after Jesus was born, he, in fact, was around 
in Bethlehem long enough that he had his circumcision and the naming ceremony. And even more than that, we're told that at the required time, his parents took him to the temple in Jerusalem, which, by the way, was 40 days. And there, you may recall, that's when Mary and Joseph, as Luke tells us, brought him there and and Simeon, the the elderly gentleman, took Jesus in his arms and he made that wonderful statement. In fact, we're going to sing a a version of that after our communion celebration when he said, Lord, now you let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which was prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to lighten the Gentiles. So we know Jesus had to be in the area at least through his presentation, 40 days. And we also know, according to Matthew's gospel, that once the wise men came, it was a short time, maybe immediately after, that Joseph had that dream in which he took the child and Mary and went to Egypt. So when you put all those things together, you realize that no, the wise men were not at the manger. Now, please don't go home. And remove all of your wise men from the manger, as I had some seminary friends do in, in, in my day. Because if you did that, you'd have to come to my house and remove my wise men from the front of my house, those plastic lit ones. You see, to be perfectly biblically accurate, or at least to a certain degree, I would really need to start those wise men and their camel about eight houses down the block, and then slowly move them towards the manger. And... Um, You know, I don't have a cord that long, and I don't know if my neighbors would really like that when they move to the driveway and get run over or something. So so please, don't remove your wise men from the the manger if you don't need to. It's okay. It's okay that there are three in many of our depictions. We don't know for sure how many, but that's okay too. We do know they were gifts. They brought gifts. We do know they came from the east, probably from Babylon, Persia, uh, Arabia, somewhere like that. And when we read Isaiah chapter 60 and it talks about camels and the like, sure, it's very likely that they did make use of camels for transportation. But the point of Epiphany is not those details of exactly when they came or what they looked like, but it was the fact that they were Gentiles. Again, in biblical terms, the word Gentile simply means any person who was not of the Jewish descent. Any person who was not a descendant of Abraham, uh, a child of Israel. And you may recall that Gentiles were, in fact, commanded by God to his own people to be kept at arm's length, if you will. When it came to their social interactions, when it came to their religious observances, when it came to even where a a Gentile could enter into the temple courts, there were certain boundaries and limits. But the revealing of Jesus to those Gentiles... And imagine the words of Simeon fresh in Mary's ears as she was there, perhaps, and got that knock at the door, and these magi entered, hearing again Simeon's words, a light to lighten the Gentile, 
A salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. Of all peoples. Jesus was born for everyone. And that's why Epiphany is sometimes referred to as the Gentiles' Christmas, when God revealed, for the first time recorded for us, Jesus and his plan of salvation to those who were not of the Jewish background. And so the Feast of Epiphany has been observed in different ways at different times by different cultures. In fact, some have chosen to use that as their main celebration for, for Christmas. And we can understand why. But again, the exact date of January 6th or even December 25th are not the critical things here. The critical things is the fact that those who were once on the outside are now, by God's grace, brought into fellowship with God, with His Son, and with all of His people. And that's really the concept that I would invite us to think about on this epiphany. Not so much Jew and Gentile, but those on the outside and those on the inside. You see, it's by God's grace that many of us have grown up in the faith as part of the adopted sons of Abraham, as God's children, the new Israel, as the Bible refers to us, all believers in Christ. And maybe we've never known a day where we didn't know who Jesus was. Maybe we've been blessed with such an upbringing that we don't know what it is not to have God's love at work in our hearts and lives. We're on the inside. We know the blessings of of being one with God and being forgiven and redeemed creatures and, and, and being able to fellowship with other believers and to pray and to, to know that God hears us and answer our prayers and be strengthened by the means of grace, His Word and His sacraments. And sometimes we forget that there are those who are on the outside. No, there may not be any physical boundaries that prevent those who don't know Jesus from coming into his presence, but as you well know, it's sometimes the social or mental or spiritual boundaries or barriers that are far more effective than anything physical. You see, as people on the inside, we need to be aware that there are those, quote, Gentiles in our world around us, those on the outside who do not have what we have. Now, maybe they once did. Maybe they grew up in the faith. Maybe they grew up in in this church, in this school, in this congregation. But for whatever reason, maybe as time went by, That type of worship and fellowship and and being in the Word maybe didn't have as much importance. Maybe it didn't take as much precedence and there was this drifting away. Or maybe there was an experience within the church or the school or with other Christians. Or maybe it was perceived to be something between what God did or allowed or didn't do. 
And as a result, someone drifts to the outside, no longer part of the fellowship. And maybe from their perspective, that's fine. Maybe they would say, you can be a Christian without going to church, which is in fact accurate. But you see, such a person perhaps has forgotten or maybe has never known the true joy of what it means to be in fellowship with Christ, in fellowship with other Christians. That Christianity is not just between me and God, but it involves the whole family of believers. But you know, there are others on the outside, not because they maybe left, but maybe because they were not as blessed as us with their upbringings. Maybe they were not raised in a family that taught them about Jesus or brought them to church or, or said prayers or anything like that. Maybe to them, religion and church was simply just far removed or untouchable or undesirable. Maybe there are those from other cultures that again, their culture would dictate that the Christian faith was not the norm at all. Now I realize Frankenmuth is not usually viewed as this, uh, this hub of diversity. But having said that, how much hasn't even that changed in our lifetimes? Somewhat demographically, but how about through the connections that we have, through whom we work with and whom we dialogue with because of technology and all of those things? How much isn't it true that the world is getting smaller and our relationships are crossing over boundaries of states and countries and races and ethnicities and even religions? You see, part of epiphany, I believe, for us on the inside is being aware of the fact that not everybody that we interact with is also on the inside. And my God grant us the grace to identify in our lives those who are on the outside. Because God wants them to know that joy that we have. Now, God certainly can do whatever he wants to bring someone into fellowship with him. In the case of the wise men, he used the miracle of the Christmas star to do that. He has used miracles throughout time to be at work in people's lives. But you know, more often than not, God chooses to use more normal or natural circumstances for people to come to know his love. And in many cases, it happens to be through the relationship of someone on the inside who reaches out to someone on the outside to make them feel welcome and invited and included and part of God's family. I don't know what kind of New Year's resolutions you have made if you do that sort of thing. If you're like me, you may have already broken one or two of those resolutions if it deals with diet or exercise. But I would submit to you a a possible, a potential New Year's resolution 
from a spiritual perspective and a relational perspective. That in the course of 2014, that you would first of all identify someone in your sphere of influence, as it's called, your relationships, whether it's family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, uh, people you have any kind of relationship with, and that you would identify if there is in fact one person or one family maybe that is really on the outside. Not that it's for us to judge the level of their faith, if it's there, if they happen to be Christian or not. But yet Jesus does say by a person's life we can identify in many ways how strong or whether that faith is there. And so by God's grace to to identify someone who is on the outside and who certainly would be a person for whom God desires them to come to a closer relationship and to pray about that individual or that family and to pray about how it is that God might use you to help break down whatever barriers there may be. To use you to be one that would extend that invitation, that welcome attitude, that friendly relationship. And it may not necessarily be inviting them to church. And we may not be able to evaluate the result on the basis strictly of if a person has now started coming to church every week and is active there. That would be wonderful. I think that's a mark of a mature Christian faith. But not everyone on the outside is even ready for that. Or would that even be possible for? But that God would identify for us ways that we might be able to break down some of those barriers and to extend to them that Christian friendship and relationship and in some way share the hope that we have that they might benefit from. And that through the course of this year, you might be able to experience the joy, not only for yourself, of knowing that Christ was born for you, but that you also might see it take place in some way in the life of someone else. If God looks at us because of Christ and there is a ray of purest pleasure, and if every time we are reminded of the fact that we can lay our sins on Jesus and he can forgive them and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, And if we experience that peace that can only come as we approach God's altar and receive the very body and blood of Christ and know what it means to be right with God, then perhaps we can also experience the same joy that the wise men experienced when they found Jesus and when we see that happening in somebody else. You know, in Matthew it says here in the NIV that when they saw the star after they had talked with Herod, the wise men saw the star and it said they were overjoyed. There's an even more literal translation that would put it this way. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with a great joy. Sounds kind of redundant, doesn't it? But that's not by accident. 
They rejoiced exceedingly with a great joy. When's the last time you've done that? When's the last time that you have rejoiced exceedingly with a great joy? Guess what? That's what can happen when we continually find Jesus in our lives. And it can happen in the lives of others when they are led by someone, perhaps, to find Jesus as well. May that joy, may that joy be yours throughout this year. A blessed epiphany. In Jesus' name, amen.